check. <clears throat> All right. Today we're continuing our Sermon on the Mount series in Matthew chapter 6. Two weeks ago, Brian Esterday covered giving to the needy. And he also covered very well the whole purpose of this section in the Sermon on the Mount. It consists of these three smaller sections, beginning with giving to the needy, and then the Lord's Prayer and fasting. And the whole point here that Jesus is trying to make in these three sections is that we should beware, beware of practicing our righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So we shouldn't be giving to the needy so that someone can see that we give to the needy. We shouldn't be praying so that others can see that we pray. And we shouldn't be fasting in order that others know that we fast. And so Brian already covered giving to the needy, and tonight we're going to be covering the verses leading up to the famous Lord's Prayer. You may, have, you may all be familiar with the Lord's Prayer, I would assume, but you may not be familiar with the verses that are leading up to the Lord's Prayer, the verses 5 through 8. And so that's what we're going to be preaching on today, or what I'm going to be preaching on today. And it helps us to better understand what prayer is. So what is prayer? Prayer is a well-known universal act. Everyone in the world prays. And it's usually a conversation between someone and something in the spiritual world. And the way prayer looks, or it looks differently among different cultures and religions. And so when I think about that, I think about my time I went to India. In my short time on earth here, I've been to India a few times. And the first time I went to India, one of the biggest takeaways was the way they prayed. It didn't matter if they were Christian, Hindu, Muslim. There was something about the Indian culture. Everyone prayed and acted like the spiritual world was just like right there. They were all so close to it all the time. People were always praying. And I remember being on the compound that we usually go to and seeing like a hundred children on their knees fasting on a concrete floor for like an hour just praying out to God, and a lot of them you could see were weeping as they were praying. These people pray like this often. And so it, it makes me beg the question, or ask the question, why, why does that prayer for them look so much different from the prayer of most of us? And so we want to understand what Christian prayer is supposed to look like. What does God want, or how does God want us to pray? And so I believe in this passage Jesus is showing us what Christian prayer should and should not look like. I believe the point Jesus is trying to make in this passage is that Christian prayer seeks to glorify God by communicating with the Father. Christian prayer seeks to glorify God by communicating with the Father. And so I'm going to read Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 5, and I'm going to read through the Lord's Prayer, verse 13. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those who, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So the old uh, King James Version was popping out on me right there. Everyone knows that version. And so, in this passage, Jesus is telling his disciples how they should pray. And he gives examples of people who pray incorrectly. There are two sections in this passage. Jesus says, don't pray like this, but pray like this. Don't pray like this, instead pray like this. Jesus is speaking to his people, and he mentions the hypocrites and the Gentiles, those who are not his people. So do not pray like those that aren't my people. Instead, you pray like this. What we must understand at a very basic level is that all Christians pray. There's no getting around that. Jesus doesn't say if you pray. He says when you pray. And what we'll see is that the hypocrites and the Gentiles do not seek to glorify God, but as we should know, our purpose as God's people is to glorify God, and being God's people, we should want to glorify God. So, I was on the back. God is glorified in our prayer when it is, one, absent of self, and is, two, focused on the Father. In other words, God is glorified in our prayer when it is not focused on ourselves, but it is focused on the Father. So we get to the first group of people, the hypocrites. In verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. So the hypocrites would make sure that they were in public during the times of prayer. Jews in this time would usually pray three times a day at specific times. We see in Psalm 55, the psalmist prays evening, morning, or yeah, evening, morning, and noon. Daniel 6, Daniel prays three times a day. And in Acts 3.1, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So could you imagine the type of hypocrites Jesus is talking about here? Imagine a Jew who is sitting at his house doing whatever a Jew does in his free time, and he steps outside, sees the sun overhead, and he realizes it's almost noon. So he hurries up and grabs his stuff, and he goes to the nearest town where the synagogue is and all that, and just in time for the 12 o'clock prayer, he hits a prominent street corner, and he throws his arms out, and he just prays and gives this immaculate prayer, and everyone around him is thinking, wow, now that's a righteous man right there. He really knows how to pray. He loves the Lord. And when his prayer is over, he may go back to his house. And so, why, why did he pray? Why did he do that? Couldn't he have just prayed at home? Sure he could have, but no one would have known about it. What's his concern then? Why did he pray like that? Because he wants the affirmation of others. He wants the people to declare him righteous. He wants the glory. He wants the glory from the people. He wants the recognition. And so, why do you pray? Do you pray to God for God's glory or for your own? Do you love having the opportunity to pray in front of others so you can try, off your, try out your polished new Christian lingo? And it's not just standing up and wanting to pray in front of others so that you can show off, but 
What about people like myself who are afraid to pray in front of others, who gets really uncomfortable at the thought of praying and speaking, even though I'm here right now speaking in front of you guys? It's basically the same heart. You want other people to adore you. You want people to think well of you. You want people to glorify you and think that you are something great. So it can be so easy for us to fall into this category of hypocrite because we are naturally self-centered. It's who we are from birth. We're sinful people until Christ comes into our lives, and that gives us the ability to not be so self-centered, but to do it for the glory of God. And so, do not pray like the hypocrite. Instead, pray in private. It says in verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So whether you love to pray in public or you're too afraid to pray in public, do you ever pray in private? Jesus tells the disciples to pray in private because in private there is no temptation to impress others. Well, unless you tell other people about it, I guess. Like, tell somebody that you're going to go pray in private, don't bother you, I'm going to be in the room in my closet doing my thing, pouring myself out before the Lord. But praying in private demonstrates faith in God. And the people of God are defined by faith, as we know. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So do you really believe that God is there? Do you have the faith to pray in private? And our culture has very little recognition of the spiritual world. And I have mentioned my time in India and how they really recognize the spiritual world in their everyday life, but why don't we? And I'm no cultural anthropologist, but my guess would be that the Indians are reminded of the spiritual world far more than we are. Most people in our culture would probably say that we are chasing a fairy tale and that reality exists outside the church doors. But what we must realize as Christians is that this is reality. In here, we are getting the taste of what is true, but the problem for us is that a lot of us won't taste reality until next Sunday. The Christians in India or China or the Middle East are forced to deal with reality every day, the reality of the spiritual world. God is more real to them than the food they put in their mouths. That's why their faith in prayer looks so much different than ours in many ways. So, I know it can be hard remembering that we are speaking to God when we pray. Martin Lord Jones, in his commentary on this passage, brings up the idea of reconciliation, or not reconciliation, but recollection. It is remembering that we are speaking to God when we pray. I have found that when I realize I'm speaking to God when I pray, the prayer becomes more full of life. I feel it. I don't get as tired. You know, y'all don't fall asleep while I'm praying if you actually think that you're praying to somebody. I'm not, I don't know if you have problems with uh, falling asleep while talking to someone, maybe Womble or somebody, but um, when you actually believe that you're speaking to God, it changes the way that you pray. And so for the unbeliever, this may sound crazy, but for the Christian, there is nothing like one-on-one -on -one time with the Father. 
Through the work of Jesus, we have access to the Father at any time. We sinful people can commune with the God who spoke the stars into existence. Do you ever want to feel like you don't deserve to speak to God? Then all you have to do is go outside in a clear night and look up. And so we see that God is glorified in our prayer when it is absent of self. But God is also glorified in our prayer when it is focused on the Father. That is the second section here when he's focused on the Gentiles. So in verse 7 it says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. And it's, it, it took me a while to understand what's going on here. The phrase of Gentiles, they think they will be heard for their many words. What does that mean? So to better understand this verse, where else in the Bible do we see Gentiles, non-Jewish people, praying with many words, hoping that they will be heard. And a great example of this is in 1 Kings chapter 18, whenever Elijah is challenging the 450 prophets of Baal in order to show that the Lord God is the only God. The prophets of Baal set up an offering, and they, an offering for the God, and they pray all day long for the God to set the offering on fire, but nothing happens. But when the time comes for Elijah to prepare the offering, he prepares the offering, and then he prays these words. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. You see, the problem with the Gentiles' prayer is that it, is, it seeks to entice God to do something for them. They don't pray because they want God. They only want what God can give them. That's what he's meaning here by do not pray like the Gentiles whom heap up empty words to be heard. They don't want God. They want what God can give them. But God's people, on the other hand, pray for the will of the Lord to be accomplished in the world. God's people are concerned for God's kingdom. God's people have this completely new mindset that the Gentiles can't even understand which we will see. In the end of this chapter of Matthew chapter 6, we read in verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It says the Gentiles seek after these things. And so... The Gentiles are natural people. They're non-believers. And natural people are going to pray for natural things. It's a given. Natural people don't seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. They seek natural things associated with their worldly desires. They don't seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness because they have hearts of stone when it comes to desiring righteousness. So, if you didn't catch that, the Gentiles or the non-believers seek after things that anybody or any natural person would seek after. Food, clothing, water, uh, safety, all these things. But it doesn't go any further than that. That's the problem. They only want to pray to God so that God can give them all these things. But it doesn't go to the next level because God hasn't changed their hearts. And what we understand is that God's people are not natural people. 
The book of Ezekiel talks about God changing our hearts from stone to hearts of flesh. This changes who we are. So that everyone knows, the act of God changing our hearts from stone to hearts of flesh is the same thing as being born again, as being adopted into the family of God, what we would call being saved. It is that moment when God changes who we are and who we want by changing our heart of stone to a heart of flesh and making us desire him, making us desire righteousness. We become a new person. We're adopted into the family. God becomes our father. And so this takes us to verse 8. We're to pray to the father in confidence. Do not be like them, the Gentiles, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, this is heavy. What does it mean that the Father knows what we need before you ask him? Well, how does that change the way we pray? It seems like it could be tempting to not pray at all, since Father knows, already knows everything that we need. So what does this mean? What's the point of our prayer now? Praying as the Gentiles do is wrong because they pray as though we were in exchange of goods. I give you this much prayer, and you give me something in return. But Christian prayer is a conversation between a father and a child. Commentator Leon Morris says, Jesus justifies this by going on to refer to the knowledge the father has of his children. Before they offer any prayer, he knows exactly what their need is. They pray not to inform the father of matters of which he is ignorant, but to worship him. They pray not to inform the father on matters of which he is ignorant, but to worship him. This idea is pivotal, it's revolutionary, because as we saw at the end of Matthew chapter 6, our heavenly Father knows what we need, therefore we shouldn't be anxious. Shouldn't be anxious because we know that a good father takes care of his children. And if our Father knows what we need before we ask him, then our main concern does not have to be for worldly needs, but instead our main concern can be for the kingdom of God. Knowing that the Father knows what we need before we ask him actually gives us freedom. We don't have to entice God with our words. We can simply be children walking in the footsteps of our father. Think about it. A child doesn't have to worry about anything when he's with his father. He doesn't have to worry about food, drink, clothing, whether or not he's going to be safe when he's with his father. If his father's a good father, his father's going to take care of him. He's just, the kid simply participates in the task that the father has. I like to imagine a, father or a son chopping firewood with his father and the child doesn't have to worry about whether or not he's going to be safe or he's going to get hit by the axe or if he's going to be clothed properly or anything. The father is going to take care of his son. But the son, all he has to worry about now is helping his father cut wood. And so the church, you guys are children of God and the only thing you really have to worry about is helping the Father do what, he's gonna, what his purpose is for the universe or the world. You just have to join him in his mission. So this morning and just a little while ago, we sang a song called Good, Good Father. And it's very applicable to this passage. Some of the lyrics go like this. Let me read them for you. Oh, it's love so undeniable, I, I can hardly speak. Peace so unexplainable, I, I can hardly think. 
As you call me deeper still, as you call me deeper still, as you call me deeper still into love, 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 you're a good, good father. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. The Father loves us, therefore we find peace. We don't have to be anxious. We can trust the Father, and that results in how we pray. And so Christians are more concerned for the spiritual than the physical. John Piper dives into this idea when it comes to praying for others. He says, Christians hold fast to the conviction that 85 years of protection, shelter, food, clothing, health, peace, prosperity, social justice, comfort, and happiness, followed by an eternity of misery, is not a good life. And we know that real love will not settle for such a tragic life. It prays for more. So I'm pleading for all Christians to pray like real Christians. I'm pleading that you never give in to the criticism that it is more loving to ask God to give people his gifts but not himself. I am pleading that all prayer be Christ-exalting, God-centered, sin-confessing, spirit-dependent, promise-trusting, holiness-pursuing prayer. In other words, I'm pleading that we really love people when we pray for them. Now, I do not believe Piper is trying to say that we shouldn't pray for any physical needs. Of course not. We should come to the Father about everything, all of our needs. But it doesn't stop there. The kingdom-minded heart of a spirit-filled believer is concerned with so much more. It goes to the next level. Christians don't pray for more, or if Christians don't pray for less, they pray for more. And before I conclude this point, I want to make sure that everyone here knows that without the coming of Jesus and his sacrifice, none of this would be possible. Jesus lived the life we were supposed to live and died the death we were supposed to die so that we could be called children of God. And there is no calling God our Father if there is no Savior. Because before we are saved, we are enemies of God. We must understand that if we're, not, if we're not followers of God, then that means we're enemies of God. Jesus reconciled that relationship, so now, therefore, we become children. We're adopted into his family. And there is no gospel without Jesus. And the proclamation of the gospel is our mission because it is the Father's mission. If you follow me here. So I really want you to to get this. We do not exist for our own glory. We exist for God's glory. Therefore, we pray with that in mind. God is best glorified when we pray to him as our father because only then will we rightly depend on him as a child and joyfully fulfill his purpose for us. And This passage, like I said, is set up right before the Lord's Prayer. And Jake will be preaching on that in a few weeks. But just in case you're not there, and for the purpose of you can't really understand this part without understanding or seeing the Lord's Prayer. Because we've seen that the hypocrite, he says, do not pray like the hypocrite, but instead pray in private. Do not pray like the Gentiles, but instead pray. Lord's Prayer. So, we should see how the words we just heard drive the format for the Lord's Prayer. It says, it's our Father in heaven. Our Father. Big underline on the Father part. It's how he starts the, the, the prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name be revered above everything else. Not my name, Lord. Your name. 
It's about you. Your kingdom come and your will be done, not mine. And on earth as it is in heaven. Let your will be done on earth and let your kingdom come as it already is in heaven. And give us what we need for this day. Give us our daily bread. All I need is what I need for the day because I'm focused on worshiping and glorifying you and that's my main concern. And forgive us as we represent you, as we represent your love and mercy in the way that we forgive others. We want to be a representative of you and we want the world to see that we are focused on the forgiveness you've given us and therefore I'm going to forgive you. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because there is nothing that I want less than to fall and profane your holy name. We see that this model prayer that Jesus has given his disciples for the way that they should pray is all about the Father. It's all about him. And so, do you find yourself praying like this? How do you pray? Are you prone to praying like the hypocrite, praying like the Gentile? Do you see that God is your father and that you're a child and that you no longer have to be anxious about anything, but when you come to him, you pray to him for his glory and you pray for him for the expansion of the kingdom? And I'm going to go ahead and pray for us right now. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Father, for this time and your children that are here and how you have changed all of our lives and how you have replaced our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh and that you've made us want so much more. I pray that everyone in this room will not be thinking about you once a week, but Lord, I pray that you will help us to be consumed with you and that we will desire you and that it will be reflected in how we live out our daily lives. Lord, I pray that you will give us what we need in the day to seek after you. And I pray that we will not be anxious, but I pray that we will represent you well and have the peace that is associated with the new life you've given us. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.